1% of property investors today, around 20,000 people, own uh, around five or more assets. And of course, what that ultimately means is those people are well on their way to financial freedom. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Welcome to the show, everybody. If it's your first time tuning in, tell you what, here at the Urban Property Investor, we just love cracking some codes. We talk about real estate. We talk about wealth. We talk about Gopniks or ICs that affect society every now and then. And I tell you what, I think my house was just case. Yes, Gopniks or ice addicts were driving down my street, which is not normal. In fact, uh, they got out, they had a look around. I reckon you always know an icy because they uh, they cruise around in fake Louis Vuitton bum bags with cigarettes and have rat's tails. If anyone's got a rat's tail, uh, a cigarette in their mouth, and uh, Adidas tracksuit pants on and a fake Louis Vuitton bum bag, you kind of know they're either a drug dealer, a gopnik, or an icy. And I think they were casing the joint. So we talk about real estate, and today, yes, we're talking about the deadly sins of real estate. And of course, one of deadly sin could be letting gopniks in your house. Hey, I tell you what, we're not here to talk about ICs and gopniks. We're going to talk about the deadly sins of real estate. What mistakes are pretty common in the real estate community that we should probably avoid if we can. Mistakes which really do hold people back. Mistakes which make a lot of property investors spin their wheels. As we know, property investing for the most part is fairly difficult because not a lot of people end up with three properties as investments or four or five Sounds easy, but actually it is a difficult place to get to or statistics would have us believe it is really difficult. In fact, 1% of property investors today, around 20,000 people, own uh, around five or more assets. And of course, what that ultimately means is those people are well on their way to financial freedom. Think about how much money you need to live off Well, when you're in retirement, a lot of people are going to need a lot of cash uh, to live a pretty fantastic life here in Australia. Apparently, the reports are we need around $135,000 worth of uh, income coming in per person to have a fun time. And I think we all want a fun time. The Gopniks in my street want to have a fun time. They want to steal things. I don't know what they'd steal from here, to be honest with you. Everything's so minimalistic these days, I suppose, I don't know, do people rob houses and walk out with the TV and take it to cash converters these days? i got no idea. Maybe they do. I don't know. I suppose there's a bit of art here or something you could flog and maybe get a few bob for. I don't know. I don't really don't know. A couple of watches. Um, hey, when it comes to the deadly sins of real estate, I think the biggest mistake is not getting enough capital into the market, really failing to play. And I guess, you know, sometimes I I do speak to a lot of people who've been to just about every property event 
read every property book in the world and really have a fear around losing things. And I think the great Helen Keller said it the best. I'm going to read you something that Helen Keller wrote. Security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature, nor do the children of men as a whole experiencing it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Helen Keller said that. Now, what that is telling us or what she is trying to allude to is by not risking, you're actually potentially not avoiding danger. If anything, I think for most people who go into this phase of in a capitalist country that they don't invest, they absolutely put themselves in a worse position than those people who take risks. So is the risk of not investing riskier than the risk of investing? Well, I personally absolutely think so. I think so many people today that I meet on a daily basis, whether it be, you know, just doing, you know, daily routines at shops, at bars, at, uh, uh, you know, hairdressers, whatever. And I'm bald, but I go to a hairdresser. Um, you know, a lot of people in their 30s and 40s now still haven't made the move to invest. All that's going to do is put more pressure on your later life. You want to have an easy life? Invest early. You want to have a hard life? Invest late. So as we know, this idea of the pensioner economy is a real thing. People absolutely hang out at Lake Weirdo. Uh, looking for $12 campsites in their 60s, in their 70s, and they don't do it because they like fishing. They do it because they got no money. So I absolutely think the biggest deadly sin of them all is not to participate in the real estate marketplace, not to actually work out your maths. And of course, I always teach Rule 20. Many of you guys have heard this before. Rule 20 is the logic that you just work out how much income you want per annum and then you times it by 20 and that usually gives you the amount of assets you need for a comfortable life in retirement. So if you're happy to live off $50,000 a year passive income in retirement, times that by uh, 20, that'll equal $1 million. You need $1 million worth of real estate paid off and obviously your own house as well. Remember, this is what it's all about. 67%, two-thirds of adults end up in some sort of state where they have to basically ask for government handouts on the pension for retirement. And when you think about what you're going to need later in life, healthcare is probably a big thing. And again, when you're younger, you probably don't put much... Um, uh, emphasis into healthcare because generally younger people are pretty healthy. But you're going to need money for healthcare, leisure, you're going to need obviously your basic essentials like food, water, shelter, clothing. All of that adds up. And as we live in this inflationary society, deadly sin number one, not playing and ending up on the pension, which I believe is 24000 per individual, 36000 per couple in retirement sounds bloody dreadful to me that's when you become a gopnik that's when you start to go you know what i am going to be a pensioner and i'm going to rob houses because i have no money 
We don't want to end up in that particular situation, do we? We want to absolutely excel. So deadly sin number one for me is not playing the game, not taking the risk. Actually, by not risking, you put yourself in a riskier situation. The second thing or deadly sin for me is what I believe is one of the biggest mistakes property investors make is to not buy real estate which has owner-occupier appeal. Sometimes, you know, experts say, you know, call it investment-grade real estate. I don't really like that word. Um, I prefer to explain it. We're kind of explaining the same thing, owner-occupier appeal real estate. And I guess a lot of property investors just fall into this position where they buy a bit of an asset which has so many hidden traps behind it. And because it has so many hidden traps behind it, as you own the asset, the longer you own it, the less it produces and you end up in a place where you don't end up financially free on an income producing property because over time that income reduces but the expenses increase. And again, I think, um, you know, there is... Uh, some traps around real estate, whether it be operational costs, whether it be liquidity costs, insurance costs. Um, Ultimately, for us as property investors, we want to buy fundamentally real estate, whether it be apartments, townhouses, villas or houses, that is really well received and wanted by the owner-occupier marketplace. We don't want to end up buying real estate, which is fundamentally a rent-for-life piece of real estate. What is a rent-for-life piece of real estate? A rent-for-life property is something that fundamentally only tenants actually ever occupy. A rent-for-life property is a property where property investors buy a property, but it has no appeal to Uh, a young smart individual living alone, um, a young couple wanting to get into the real estate marketplace, an upgrading family wanting to own real estate, a downsizer who's got a bit of money and wants to take out an asset in cash. By not owning that stuff, you're missing out on this great, wonderful thing called capital growth. Generally, what I see one of the biggest deadly sins of being a property investor is, is faux pas equity deals, blunder equity deals. People buy the real estate and it absolutely has no greater appeal to the absolute marketplace. The marketplace of millennials, the marketplace of Gen X, the marketplace of baby boomer. They do not want to live in the asset. So what happens to the asset is it just becomes this rental property. And when you want to sell the property, All you can appeal to is another investor who will take the property off your hands. Usually that investor, if they're smart, they're going to bash you on price. If they're less smart, they're going to buy it off you and you're going to play this game of um, pass the parcel. And it's amazing to see real estate like that unfold. I've certainly bought that real estate in the past. I've got the lashes on the back around that particular property where you buy something and the local market, demographically speaking, just doesn't care about it. It's not what they want. You thought it was a great idea at the time. Now you're left with something with 
a deteriorating asset which is dropping in value, look and appeal, and also uh, your rental returns are also uh, not actually growing because of the asset being challenged and there's no appeal. So first deadly sin is to not play. Second deadly sin in my view is to definitely buy faux pas properties which are just not what owners want to own. They don't see themselves wanting to own that asset. And when you do look at the statistics, 44% of people would pay more for property if it made them feel good. Think about that, right? Quite often property investors buy on mathematical logic, but quite often emotional owners buy with their hearts. And if you've got something which is nice and appealing, a good location, a great street with good street appeal, you're going to make money out of real estate right? That's how it works. And uh, I guess when we buy real estate, we need to have some um, understanding or comprehension around what value is, which I think um, is, is well and truly something we'll talk about. Hey, I think the third deadly sin is not being able to uh, be creative enough to work through issues and have a bit of a team to help you through issues. Real estate is actually pretty well a game of challenges that rear up all the time. Uh, Some of the challenges are not controllable. We can't control the market. We can't control politicians. We can't control legislation. We can't control uh, new laws around the rental properties. We can't control APRA. We can't control debt levels. We can't control a bucket load in the real estate community. We can't control uh, things like coronavirus outside of our control. But we can absolutely control our own psychology. And for me, the third biggest deadly sin of property investors is psychology. Not being able to work through issues, just having a real problem when the slightest little bump or bruise comes along with real estate. There are some crazy statistics in real estate that if you, most people will, as investors, own real estate for less than six years. They buy it with the hope that they're going to get rich rather quickly, see their asset jump in value really, really quickly, and then it may grow by a few bob And when it hasn't doubled in value and they soon realize they've got to go another 10 years with the asset, they go through this sort of process of giving up. And it's amazing just how many people crumble. Amazing. I uh, certainly think a lot of people um, just don't know how to get to the end game and they wake up in a position where they don't truly even understand what asset they own as an investment. And as such, they start to panic, freak out, and give up. And again, I think, you know, uh, the tougher you are when it comes to this stuff is a measurement of really how successful you're going to be. And what I do know for property investors is they do need to create plans, a series of psychological plans to get to the end game. The psychological plan is as much about giving confidence and certainty as it is about creating a financial outcome. 
Do you have, for example, a debt reduction plan? Well, if you don't, your psychology is going to be meddled along the way of owning real estate. Do you have a tax minimization plan? Well, if you don't, your psychology is going to be meddled through your journey of owning real estate. Do you have a capital growth plan? A lot of people don't. Uh, you can use my capital growth plan. I teach the five cities growth plan. If you don't have a plan, you're going to end up in this place where psychology starts to ruin how you get to the end game, which of course is this idea of financial freedom. So do you have a plan around uh, downsizing your assets? What is your plan around your ultimate goals around tax minimization? All of these things are a plan and that's why we say real estate is 80% psychology and 20% real estate because the 80% which is psychology is not necessarily about you waking up with your smile on your face, it's you waking up with a series of plans. Do you have an income plan with your assets? What is it? What is your income plan? If you absolutely are listening in right now and you have no plan, I'm telling you the odds of you becoming a successful property investor are a lot lower than those that certainly have the psychology around having a, a plan, right? It's as simple as that. What's your plan around increasing your cash flow? Do you have one? Uh, or are you going to give up? Are you giving up increasing your cash flow today? A lot of people sitting on a lot of unused cash flow right now. A lot of people whose tenants are paying less than market rent right now. A lot of people who could start to learn ideas around, um, around contemporary mixed use of residential real estate, about creating more cash flow from real estate. A lot of people could do simple things by allowing pets in their investments and get more cash flow. A lot of ways to increase and accelerate your wealth, but obviously a lot of people just don't have a plan. When you don't have a plan, your psychology gets messed up. You become a gopnik. You become a, you, you, you could end up robbing houses like the people about to rob the house in my street. I don't know whose house they're going to rob. I hope it's not mine. Um, I will point out if you are listening, robbers, gopniks, ICs, I have a weapon in my house. I have bats and um, that is my protection mechanism. So please do not come here. I have an alarm. Um, and um, yes, we are well uh, enforced here. If you are studying me on uh, YouTube or something like that or listening on podcasts, we're going to rob that guy's house. We're going to nick his camera. Don't nick my camera. So uh, do you have a plan around uh, capital improvements? What's your capital improvement plan? What, what have you got? You got anything? Have you got, what, how are you going uh, to reinvest money into your own assets to make sure the asset value of what is and, uh, uh, bricks and mortar continues to be popular generation after generation? What is your capital improvement plan? You know, I think for most part, most people make a lot of errors in this section of the marketplace. And without question, for me, I think um, the... The idea of location, location, location is important for real estate investors. And I guess, 
you know, when it comes to the deadly sins, the seven deadly sins of real estate, first one, not having a plan. Second one, which is, in my view, as equally important, not buying owner-occupier real estate. Third one, psychology. Again, not bringing the right psychology to the game to the to the to the to the to the real estate marketplace and then messing your psychology because you have no battle plans drafted up right you have no battle plans drafted up first rule not playing that is the biggest mistake second rule not buying uh, owner occupier real estate third rule not having a definitive set of action plans to win the war do you think people go to war without battle plans of course, they have to have some sort of formula to get where they need to go. And of course, many people don't, so they end up on the wrong side of property investment. First, fourth deadly sin in my version of the world is not buying a great location. Location, location, location. Real estate is a game of location. And I tell you what, um, there are some risky locations out there in the marketplace. We have both e-liquid and liquid real estate markets. We have places where real estate is commonly sold and people want to buy real estate there. Then we have e-liquid real estate where it's a bit unknown what actually happens in those marketplaces. A lot of property investors choose the unknown as, a, as opposed to choosing proven performance. I think location risk is one of the biggest things today which is going to impact real estate uh, investors and without question is probably in my view um, something which we're going to hear a lot more about into the future that uh, many locations are going to turn out to be a bit of a blunder because people chose the fad of buying real estate as investment over, instead of absolutely understanding the foundations behind real estate and of course for me a lot of those foundations around location also link to the actual asset you're buying the underlying asset and this is where i think it's really important to understand real estate is quite often valued by what people will pay for it on any given day i.e the market and the market and the true value of real estate quite often is actually distorted. What do I mean by that? Well, let's say we were a farmer and we had a cow. We took that cow to market and it was really fat. And on any given day, someone will pay a different price for that cow. Let's say that the market is undersupplied of cows the cow sells for a record price. However, is this really what a cow is worth? If we were to buy a calf and feed it some grass, is it actually cheaper than buying the cow? This is the question, right? This is the example of real estate. This is where I often teach real estate has an intrinsic value and a market value. The intrinsic value of real estate is the idea that of the cow or the calf eating grass, right? We buy some land, whether that's a house or an apartment, a townhouse, it's got some land content and we build on it. And the cost of the land and the build is the true cost of the bricks and mortar. This is 
the almost intrinsic or replacement or or new value of the asset. This is what the asset is fundamentally worth. To build it, this is what it would cost. All up, you can get in for it for this. Remember, properties are bricks and mortar. People live in them. So it's got this kind of like internalized intrinsic value of what it actually costs to actually create. Then there's the market value. And what I find is a lot of people today need to be very careful because they are buying the cow on the day of auction, market value. They aren't buying the intrinsic value. I like to teach investors to buy the intrinsic value. So many people today, for example, are buying assets that really would cost about $700,000 to create and they're paying $900,000 for it. They're buying it at market, not at fundamentally its intrinsic value. By paying more for the underlying asset, they're obviously creating a higher risk profile for themselves. The same thing happens with really cheap properties and this again for me, location, location, and then the assets inside that location so important, the deadly sin of going to a really inferior location and then messing up the the asset value of that inferior location, it it can just crucify you as a property investor. You never make money out of property. So I call this the capital intensive wheel spin. Basically, what a lot of investors will do is they'll go and buy and find a really cheap property below the living standards of the day. Owner-occupiers don't want it. Remember rule, deadly sin rule number two, buy, owner-occupier real estate. So they buy real estate which is uh, fundamentally old, retired, and probably needs to be demolished, right? They buy it, for example, for say $400,000, but to recreate a new home on that land all up, it might cost $700,000, all up. However, the market is only prepared to pay $600,000 for newer assets that are more livable and desirable in that community. All of a sudden, they've bought an asset where they're spinning their wheels. It's declining in value, it's going down in appeal, its rental value is becoming challenged, the repairs and maintenance are too expensive to keep going, But you cannot add any value to the asset, even though you bought it cheap, because to uh, create more intrinsic value out of the asset, you would need to replace it with a new one. And by replacing it with a new one, you're then overcapitalizing because the market, the, the cow being sold on the day, is being sold for less. So again, so many blunders people make when it comes to the real estate marketplace and I think this is one of the deadliest sins going around. Not understanding really location, location, location and inside that paying the sweet spot. The sweet spot is really the true cost of the asset, not what the market wants to pay and not necessarily buying something below market value that when you really activate the capital cost of it, it is overpriced. And uh, that is really probably, for me, one of the biggest, deadliest sins I 100% see in the real estate community. 
I also think that a lot of people when it comes to uh, the deadly sins of real estate also fail at intrinsic tax. In other words, some of the new assets in the marketplace have deductions when it comes to depreciation, which are large sums of cash. The more cash we have circulating in our portfolio, the more capital we can get to the mar- into the market, the faster we can get to financial freedom. Obviously, here in Australia, any asset in residential produced before 1984 or built before 1984 has no intrinsic tax value as an asset. It fundamentally cannot be depreciated. Some expenses can be compliant, uh, uh claimed some capital costs can be claimed but there is no tax minimization from debt reduction from uh, depreciation of asset values obviously assets built after 1984 have an allowance and the newer the better allows you to create intrinsic tax deductions again i think this is one of the things that does my head in about real estate for anyone building a portfolio, if you want one property, you don't have to worry about anything I'm saying. Anything I'm saying. Just go buy something. It's going to go up in value over time. Kick back and relax. Choose the best location you can do. Buy one property. Chill out in life. See what happens. Um, see, if you, see if it works out. See if you're cruising Lake Guido or, um, or you're not. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to you, to, to the market, to the world, right? I don't have a crystal ball. But what I can tell you is real estate has intrinsic value. And if you work out what that value is, you can moment in life. It's happened to me. It's happened to so many people I know. And one of that is choosing assets that have claimable tax depreciation because it puts more cash flow in your back pocket. Now, quite often, sometimes there's this sort of old versus new argument, and sometimes old is better than new. Sometimes new is better than old. Uh, But what I can tell you what is best of all is that you are buying assets on their intrinsic value, what they're actually worth from uh, a tangible cost as opposed to the market, and as opposed to not actually factoring in future capital costs, buying something cheap, which can never be improved. Uh, That in itself is not good real estate management. So for me, intrinsic tax management is a big part of owning real estate, understanding that there is so many things you can uh, offset in your life and you can absolutely get your wealth back from your job. Now think about your job. You wake up on a Monday, you go to work, you exchange your time for money. Tuesday, you exchange your time for money. Wednesday, you exchange your time for money, but by around lunchtime Wednesday, you're starting to pay tax. You're paying tax the balance of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and some people, you know, even on the weekend, probably have work and they're paying tax. The intrinsic value of not choosing real estate that has that built in to me, makes no sense. The fact that you can get your money that you go to work to earn back on a Thursday and a Friday by buying an asset uh, that the Australian government wants you to buy, um, 
it makes so much sense to me, right? It makes so much sense to me. So I'm not a big believer if properties are built before 1984 to even get involved with them. I think newer, um, in some respects, the better. As long as it has intrinsic value, as long as it's not overpriced and it's being built at a way too expensive rate and you're being sucker punched by the marketplace. So we know the first deadly sin, failing to play. Second deadly sin is not buying owner-occupier real estate. Third deadly sin, psychology, really not being able to work through issues because you have no plans. Fourth deadly sin is location, location, location. Inside location, location, location is the deal itself. Understanding how value works inside a location is incredibly important for for real estate investors. So the fourth or fifth rather deadly sin for me that I always teach is to not play the minimal market economy game. I'm not a believer in it. I think people really harm themselves. And I've seen this before. A couple of us old dogs, we've been around a long time, man. Like we've been doing this 20 plus years. I've been real estate brokering for 20, God, I'm 46. I started when I was 18. I don't even know what that is. How do you even add that up? That's hard. I need a calculator. I've been going since I was 18 in real estate, right? I'm 46 years of age. So uh, that's like, what, 28 years? That's sickening. That makes me sick. I should do something else with my life. But I love real estate. And one of the things I can tell you is real estate bought in small towns or minimal market economies is dangerous. I've been there, done that. Towns which are built around one major industry. That industry could be agriculture, mining. It could be uh, uh, just small town, um, you know, uh, 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 dysfunctions, right? I've bought in towns which have nothing going for them except cotton. Cotton. Think about that. I'm relying on the cotton commodity. The commodity of cotton, if my property is going to go up or down. I'm not buying real estate. I'm buying cotton. That is scary. I've bought in uh, real estate marketplaces before where really gold is the central economy of that particular township. I'm not buying real estate. I'm buying gold. That is a scary proposition. I've seen townships around Australia where... 10, 20, 30, 40,000 people live in them, go down and halve in value as soon as something absolutely dramatic affects that industry. And I tell you what, um, I certainly have uh, the lashes on the back for that one. So um, absolutely lost money on my, my own accord in that space. Again, minimal market economies are an absolute deadly sin for property investors. And I think for me, one of the the big uh, ideas around this idea that everyone's going to, everyone should go and become property investors in small regional communities, which are really reliant on some sort of single trade is I've seen the down I've seen the dark side of that right I have I've seen the dark side of that even townships you think well you know it's pretty solid there's a bit going on there um you know my rule 
If it's not a market mover township, just stay clear of it. It hasn't got uh, an airport. If it hasn't got um, a growing population, if it hasn't got multiple industries, then you probably don't want to get involved in that marketplace. Now, I know there's a big conversation around people can work from anywhere. And of course, some people can. I think it's going to work out the great demographers, the McCrindles and the Salts suggest around just over 10 to 14% of people may choose to work from anywhere, which is great. I know as a property investor, I don't want to bet on that. I think it's a great movement. I think it's great for those people. I don't know where those people are going to be. I don't know if they're going to stay in cities, if they're going to go to regional areas, if they're going to go work from the Cook Islands, if they're going to get a boat and float around the Pacific, if they're going to go to Seminyak and Bali. No freaking idea. Uh, I know minimal town economies where there's just one industry where a thousand of the 10,000 people that um, work in that town work within uh, are not the places for me. But I also realise that real estate is going up in value in our major metropolitan areas where there are lots of jobs. And for me, I think um, without question, rather than go into a minimal market economy, I would go into distributed urbanism. In other words, smaller areas of uh, in cities where there are job clusters. If you can't afford to buy next to Sydney CBD, um, we need to go and find another job cluster and buy near that. After all, we want income in our retirement. We want pressure on property values and where people get up and go to work every day is really, really, really an important driver of property values into the future. It's not to say every um, township where there's a work from home movement isn't a great place to buy. Certainly some of the surf towns up and down the coast with airports proven to be very valuable when it comes to uh, the recent capital growth in those marketplaces. But we are seeing capital growth just about everywhere at the moment and uh, it's encouraging to see in particular our major metropolitan areas bounce back with a big push in values and a lot of those increases are driven around the idea that people still see um, those marketplaces as very safe to own real estate. So for me, uh, deadly sin number five, big mistake, minimal market economies, don't do it. I've seen the downside. I have been uh, even quoted. Uh, I think I was quoted in the Courier Times, uh, which is the Brisbane paper. I think it's called the Courier Mail, Courier Times. Or something. I don't know. Uh, I think I was on the front page one morning, which was amazing. I was a bottom article and I had labelled Moorumba, a town in um, Queensland, uh, the crack cocaine for property investors. Yes, property investment became crack cocaine for many people. Now, back in the mining boom in sort of 2009, 10, 11, when we had mining boom number two, a lot of property investors went to these small communities where there was huge incomes off the back of mining. A lot of FIFO miners went into Murrumbah and uh, basically stayed there permanently and 
property values skyrocket. The first deal I ever brokered in uh, Moorumbah was $54,000. When that real estate became $250,000, I stopped brokering real estate there. That real estate went from $250,000 to a million dollars plus and incomes or rents for that suburb were astronomical, overinflated. Rents in that area for about two years were circa $2,000 a week for a million-dollar property. People saw the yield as appetizing because they were getting a 10% return. You were buying an asset for a million and getting $2,000 a week in rent. All of a sudden, though, having seen the birth of of asset values in this area, I was buying on intrinsic value. I was buying on the fact that that area uh, had some, some, you know, really good valued assets at the time. When the market took over, all of a sudden the assets got inflated, both from a rental point of view and from a capital gains point of view. And of course, all that simply happened was there was a downturn in mining. People who bought in that community at such an expensive rate weren't buying real estate. They were buying the mining market. When the mining market adjusted, uh, well, of course, those properties dropped exponentially in value and actually went down around 80% in value. And when you think about that, that is a horrendous story. Many people had to go absolutely bankrupt because they failed at the deadly sin of buying in a minimal market economy. They were not buying the economy of, for example, Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane, where there's literally hundreds of different sub-industries of around 20 major industries. And again, the reason it failed was the experiment failed because in that particular township, there was no other jobs connected to any other industry other than coal mining. And uh, you can imagine the devastation that had on so many people's lives. I called it the crack cocaine because people were addicted. They were addicted to the idea that they could replace their income from one single deal and never work again. And what really they failed at was the idea that they were not buying real estate, they were buying a commodity, and in that particular situation, they were buying coal mining. And of course, they also were buying a behaviour. The behaviour in that situation was that people flew in and stayed in Moorumbah, and the difference of what then unfolded was mining camps opened. Mining camps owned by mining companies and also FIFO. People started to fly in, fly out more regularly. And of course, rather than pay the absorbent rent of renting a property in that particular neighbourhood, the mining companies created their own properties. And of course, that behaviour influenced a downturn in property economics in that particular neighbourhood. So... The first rule, as we've alluded to, is not playing the game. Second rule is not buying owner-occupier real estate, blunder real estate. Third rule, third rule is psychology. Not, not working out how to work through problems because you don't actually have any plans. Fourth rule is location, location, location with the subsection of understanding uh, deal, deal, deal. 
Fifth section is avoid these weird little things that pop up and are a fad. They're not actually a foundation of real estate. Uh, the foundation of real estate is buying next to infrastructure, next to jobs. And we often teach the idea of pie, population, infrastructure, employment. This is real credible behind what real estate actually is. Probably the sixth thing for me that really stands out for property investors is that, again, um, they, do, they do not have anyone they can talk to about real estate. So many people, I think, make a massive mistake going into real estate without a great lawyer, without uh, a great accountant, without a property manager that really understands where the asset is headed. Uh, without lending specialists, without coaches, without a deals team. And when you think about what you're trying to achieve, which is financial freedom, and then you don't do anything about building a connection or community inside the real estate marketplace, you're never actually going to get to financial freedom. It's never going to happen unless you've got um, a, a a surrounding network which works with you to do what you want to do. Um, and I think when you look at the great deadly sins of real estate, it is wasting time. The sixth deadly sin is not building a team and wasting time. Wasting time is taking advice from a friend, not an expert. Wasting time is not knowing how to... Um, plan your life, plan where you're going. Wasting time is having a conversation over price, not value, when it comes to, for example, property management. I see this so often, it drives me bonkers. You've got property managers out there today in the property management community that understand investing, and then you don't. 95% do, uh, of property managers are not investors, right? They, they, they have no idea what you're trying to do with your asset. And when you have no idea what you're trying to do with your asset, this is a cocktail of a disaster going to unfold, right? I always put um, people in three, three categories as landlords. But manage, maintain, manage, grow, and manage, rebuild. And property managers that understand that get it. They know that your asset is subpar. You then have a, um, a conversation with them about paying them less and you've got a subpar asset that is below market standard and you're talking to a property manager about paying them less. You, uh, you, you have no idea of what you're trying to achieve from a value standpoint. You have no idea what you're trying to achieve from a value standpoint. The conversation should be more around, hey, I own this asset. I am in a stage of my investment career where I just simply need to control this asset, pull equity out of it. I need to maintain it. I need to actually grow the asset. I need for it to improve from a look and feel point of view. If I can get more equity out of this asset or if I can increase the rents on this asset, I can create more money. I understand that you're a manager if I don't work with you and you don't um, understand what I'm trying to achieve, we're going to be on a different playbook. I need a manager to help grow my asset. 
when you have the price conversation, you're not having the value conversation. And this is where I think most people really make deadly mistakes in real estate. They never have the, the, the conversation around what they're trying to achieve. And again, people aren't mind readers. Um, unless you build a team, you're going to struggle, I think, to get results. And I've seen it firsthand. I know so many friends and family and associates that, yeah, they got one property. That's awesome. I'm really happy for them. But they're not getting to a financially free state. Then I look at the people inside, for example, the team that I coach. I've got a six-star team. I've got property managers who understand uh, they grade landlords on if they're manage, maintain, manage, build, or manage, regrow. I've got uh, finance specialists that understand how to map out property portfolios. I've got coaches that know how to dig into um, helping people understand strategy around real estate, how to make money out of real estate. I've got accountants that specialize in tax minimization. All of this is, is cost money, but it is absolutely worth it. I have lawyers who literally I can ring in, in 10 minutes. They're reviewing a contract for me because they know I'm not a tire kicker. They know that I can produce uh, I can produce a result from real estate. Again, who is on your team? This is this is uh, a big question, and I think without question, the sixth deadly sin is for people to to not really build a community or not borrow building a community. If you don't have a community, borrow mine. That's cool. Just reach out, and I'll I don't know. I'll sort you out somehow. I'll put you in the right direction of the community. We got. Uh, lot of different Facebook communities going on. We've got a lot of different tribes. We've got a lot of different membership options. Like you can do what whatever you want, right? You can tailor it your way. But I can tell you, um, you know, I don't often talk about my business on this podcast, but I think it is without question world-class when it comes to uh, giving property investors access to either do it themselves or, or get help finding um, real estate in the marketplace and building wealth. The seventh deadly sin is the idea of, of uh, again, um, panicking. I think a lot of people get into a situation where they just don't understand real estate. They uh, believe in the media narratives that float around. I, mate, who trusts the media? Like, not me. Um, I think this country's got some real challenges when it comes to what is fake news, real news, the narrative, agendas. Uh, you know, uh, again, uh, real estate will have highs and lows and it's that journey that you're going on that is the most important one. And I think, you know, a lot of people go into this kind of uh, uh, challenge when it comes to to real estate and panic because they don't know themselves, right? They do not know themselves. And again, I think one of the the big things to help investors overcome not panicking is uh, the big the big nine, right? I teach the big nine. The first one is the idea that you won't panic if you have a system, a system to invest in. Not just buying willy-nilly. That is not a system. A systematic approach to investing. 
When you have a systematic approach to investing, you do not fall into the deadly sin of panicking and just buying something. That's not how it works. You end up overpaying and the market doesn't double on your asset because you overpaid on your asset. So when it does go up, you make less. Panicking. Do not panic. Seventh deadly sin is panicking. Second systematic approach I choose in real estate is understanding people's profiles. People are danger to themselves half the time. If you don't actually identify with people as to what they are and who they are and what their archetype is, they truly can quite often not understand their own volatility when it comes to uh, uh, comes to uh, real estate and therefore they start to panic. The market is going to go up and down. As long as you invest, it's going to go up and down. It's very normal. It doesn't always go up. It comes down. And again, panicking in a downward pressuring marketplace, again, for many property investors, becomes their sin. I was speaking to a guy three months ago. I was like, mate, he's been, uh, the market was down for three years and then it was on its way up. He said, I'm getting out. The market's down. I'm like, but now it's going up. He's like, uh, you know, I'm so sick of it going down that I just got to get out. Personality psychology in that space is, is big, right? Why are you getting out when the market's going up? Makes no sense to me. Today, again, um, uh, markets will go up and down and there is no point of, of really panicking, right? You're in this for the long term. You're playing the long-term sport. And again, people will panic uh, when the market moves, when their personality kicks them, if they don't have a system of investing, uh, if the hierarchy of risk of their asset is all wrong, it's all screwed up, they panic, right? They panic. People panic when, again, they do not uh, follow the foundational principles of real estate. And I see it all the time. Uh, with the people's ability to to balance the books and get to the end game. Hey, I tell you what, the market is booming, um, but when there is a booming market, not every asset is the right buy, that is for sure. And I think uh, when it comes to real estate, it is a bit of a marathon, it's not a sprint. I think uh, for a lot of people, be wary of the seven deadly sins of real estate. I hope this was helpful. Um, I'm going to go do a perimeter search and make sure ICs aren't out in the uh, front yard. So uh, thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. Um, if, uh, if you like today's show, feel free to leave me a review. Thank you very much for tuning in and I'll catch you next time on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.